On this episode of Movies Ruin My Life, it's a disavowed Tom Cruise running, jumping, and hanging from things. Plus explosions. It's the Mission Impossible franchise. All right, so this is Danny. Hello, audience. That's Devin off screen. Hello. And Mission Impossible. Now, this is a film series that's been, and well, I guess now in this its twenty year anniversary, right? Two thousand sixteen, first film. Uh, my favorite of the series with uh, Brian De Palma uh, back in ninety six. I actually saw that the drive in. It was a it was a two two for one night. I saw that and the Phantom, which is pretty solid. The Phantom, eh? Yeah. Which one did you see first? Uh, Mission Impossible was like the the marquee picture, and then the Phantom was the if you want to stay around. And it's a decent double bill. Actually. Yeah, no, I really like that film actually. Um, okay, so I just want to start off. How would you guys rank these films purely for enjoyment? I you know I don't care about special effects or story or any of that shit. Just give me your favorite. From uh from five through to one, which do you like worst? Which do you like the best? And maybe a quick why, whatever you feel inclined to do so. Danny, you mind kicking us off? Sure. Okay. Uh, coming in first would be Mission Impossible three with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman because and you uh, like that one the best. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so we'll go favorite. from top then. We'll go from the top. Yeah, we'll go from one to fifth. Okay. One. So month would be MI3 because of Hoffman. He's so great. Uh, the Tooth, second coming in second would be the original. Just a tad inferior to MI3, I think. Really? Yeah. Uh, I don't make many comments on that one. Uh, third, MI5, Rouge Nation. Uh, Rouge Nation? Just because uh, the villain was so fantastic. It was, uh, you just told me a couple days ago that was Ian Curtis from 24-Hour Party People. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's very nice to see uh, he's got his life together after that unpleasant suicide <laughs> but he was just uh everything a villain should be he was cold he was frightening and even oh, yeah. when he got captured he didn't beg he just stared at them angrily because he's a villain and he doesn't give a shit yep it was awesome uh coming in four would be mission impossible for the uh, ghost protocol one where they they all get disavowed because Maybe. the u.s government are well they all get disavowed in every film <laughs> yeah it's interesting. The Mission Impossible movies are not as patriotic as uh, movies of this kind usually are. Yeah, the the government are always weasels. They're always they're always bureaucratic cowards. Yeah, and coming in dead last would be the John Woo one, the uh, Mission Impossible two. Like I said, I remember more the promotional cycle for that one than the film itself. Right on. So you have just to because I already forgot what the fuck you just read off. So three is at number one. Then you have uh, one. And then you have MI5, Rogue Nation? Yep. At three? Okay. And then four and... Okay. Four and two. Okay. Devin? Um, I mean, I, I, I apologize, but I haven't seen four. I, I mean, I've read through the synopsis here. I think it looks like a great movie. Um... <laughs> Uh, I, I, you know, but you didn't even know that you hadn't seen stuff. four until we showed up. That's yeah. what's hilarious. Is they're all so fucking they're close? Pretty, they're, yeah, they're pretty similar. I mean, I would, I would have to put. So we're four going is from good. Top to bottom. Mm. Um, I, I mean, like I said, number or number four is at one. Number number <laughs> one is number one. 
All um, right. Number three is number. Uh, okay, doing it this way is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> number three is number right, two. Number, three number, is number five two. is number, number two. two is number five. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, the the first movie is my favorite. I think it it really um, captured a lot of of what I like about it, like people with their their individual jobs to do, uh, things not being uh, very clear, um, um, not overly gadgety and like you know uh, here uh, save for the face morphers i mean pretty much everything was was um uh well in that film it was a little more simplistic they had to find someone who looked like the person they were trying to impersonate yeah and and so to that end Mm -hmm. it's not so much like uh how are we going to get into this place oh i you know i have a, a a perfect you know, device that will allow for this or, or you know, we'll change my height. Yeah. And, and so, um, so yeah, so number one is, is I think my favorite, mm-hmm. uh, number three, uh, comes in, in second place for sure. Mission impossible three, um, uh, Hoffman's great bad guy. Uh, Amazing. Tom Cruise is a great, crazy guy. Um, <laughs> uh, Number three uh, on my list would be Mission Impossible Five. Um, it was fun, mm-hmm. you know. I, it, it was it was really fun, and I do like spy agency versus spy agency. Yeah, I like them bringing that like, back from the TV show. Yeah, I I would like if there was more of like a crew aspect, kind of like the the Mission Impossible team has. Yeah, where if there were people who were not that great at just like fighting. On, yeah. on the other guy's team, and yeah, it's like they find so their hacker and he sucks yeah. too. Like he, he also can't. <laughs> oh, you're the computer himself. guy. I'm the computer guy. Like when Millhouse meets uh, Shelbyville Millhouse. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what it's like when doves cry. <laughs> uh, and, uh, then number number four for me. Um, I'm just going to say number four because I really I, I I could only assume that number two would still be at the bottom of my list if yeah, I oh, if I had seen definitely. number four. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I that being said, I mean, I think they're all fun. I mean, I think there's still things to enjoy even about number two. Um, oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, but it's a a pretty big approval cliff that it falls off for me <laughs> at that point. Um. Okay, so for me, uh, Mission Impossible 1996 is at the top. Um, Brian De Palma being at the helm, I feel, gives it a really unique feel. Uh, The fact that it is a very uh, 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 technical uh, film, and, and some of its criticism was the fact that the plot was fairly, or people felt the the plot was convoluted, but... The thing is that multi-layered story, you you kind of want that feel from a spy movie. You kind of want the feel that everyone is playing someone else in the film. And uh, so I, I very much enjoy that. Um, I like that Ethan Hunt's character's not just good at everything yet. I like that he's, uh, you know, for example, the train sequence at the end, he has to just climb up and... I guess I have to chase after him. I guess I have to chase after Jim. Whatever. Um, and Gene Reno is great. Uh, it, just fantastic film. Uh, 
I, in second place, I have MI3. Same reasons as you guys. Basically, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is the man, uh, and he, I miss him a great deal. Uh, <clears throat> I uh, I think that you have the most to connect with the Ethan Hunt character in that film, more so than any of the other films. He's actually a human being, not just um, the idea of a hero. He actually, he's obviously engaged and he he's training new operatives and so forth. And he, he wants to remove himself from the battle. And I think that that's very interesting. Um, then I have uh, number four next uh, at, in third place. Uh, Ghost Protocol, which uh, is higher than uh, both you guys. Of course, Devin, you don't really count because you haven't seen it, apparently. <laughs> but I um, I love this film right from the opening sequence where he's in the Russian prison. And you don't know why he's in the Russian prison. He's just in the Russian prison. And uh, and um, Simon Pegg's character is, is is trying to be like, okay, come on, come on. Like, go this way. And, and Tom's looking up at the camera. Ethan's looking up at the camera. And uh, and and telling him to open other doors, and he wants to go the other way, and just what he does with uh, the the other Russian prisoner, Bogdan, is it? Mm. And he's just he's using him like a human shield, but he's throwing him around and and trying to get him out of there. Uh, that's all really interesting, and of course that character comes back to play a little bit of a role later on in the film, which is nice. Um, it all flows really well. It's 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 good in that in that regard. Um, I think it flows a lot better than, than some of the other films in all seriousness. In terms of pacing, this one is one of the best in the series, besides number one, which is untouchable for me. Um, in fourth, I have MI5. Again, similar reasons to you guys. Um, love the villain. Love uh, the idea of the syndicate. Where it falls off for me is the uh, third act. I can't get over the fact that I I feel like that the writers had half a script written and they were like, wow, this is really good. Mm. High five. What do we do now? And they didn't know. So they just kind of meandered about with the plot until they could type, you know, fade out. Yeah, well, it, it, they relied on the classic trope of putting the um, uh, one of the characters in mortal danger. Simon Pegg gets kidnapped and uh, well, he gets a bomb strapped to his chest, I think. Yeah. Bomb and a camera. What is his name again? Oddly enough. Who's Simon Pegg? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, uh, Benji. Benji, yeah. So Benji's in danger. Um, I, think, I, I think they named him that deliberately. They wanted him to be like a dog. A loyal you know, dog. A loyal dog. <laughs> yeah. I am... Um, it's just the whole thing with okay so in three tom cruise or <laughs> tom cruise can read lips in three no uh ethan can read lips in three in four uh he doesn't need to read lips anymore um and in, then in five he can apparently um memorize shit and that's his new superpower is mm-hmm. he has a wicked memory? When does this happen? Did, uh when he cuz he's like that's that's why he goes to meet uh, them at the restaurant and he's like if you want this information it's here you can't kill me because it's in my brain right yes yes and that yeah. just seems like such fucking bullshit to me <laughs> because you you get like you know i deleted it but it's in my head right and you're completely reliant on the fact that this guy just has a good memory like if he fucks up one digit 
You know, he's yeah, completely worthless. It's word, an entire word, file, isn't it? Yeah. He memorized <laughs> <laughs> And this is why I can't put it higher on my list. As yeah. much as aesthetically it's fantastic, uh, like you said, the villain, all of the villains, like even the, the henchmen, that great scene where, um, uh, where Ethan is tied up and, uh, and, and, and they're just wailing on him mm-hmm. and he has to escape and of course gets help from the one operative that's kind of playing both sides. Yep. Um, I love all of that, but I can't come to terms with the fact that it just, it seems like as soon as you hit the third act, the film doesn't make any sense anymore. It's, it, you know, it's like the first two acts were written by a very coherent, uh, mind <laughs> and then the third one they just they went out for too many beers one night and came back and were like oh fuck i gotta finish the script by tomorrow <laughs> you know yeah yeah the quality does dip off noticeably but for me at that point i've been so carried along by the momentum i yeah. was just like whatever yeah also the falling off the motorcycle thing like i know people who've fallen off a motorcycle while it's stopped and been injured more than tom <laughs> yeah. gets injured falling <laughs> off of it while it's just flying at like 200 miles an hour uh, um and then mi2 is at the bottom of my list obviously as much as i love uh, flaming uh door frames and doves and underground uh, tunnels and these sorts of things uh you know all the the marquees of a great john woo film i uh i just can't get over the fact that it totally it is we know it is and and uh and and it it felt like even at the time very much a cut and paste job you know but in any case i wanted to bring up to how close tom cruise has been with this franchise since its conception obviously skydance uh is one of the production houses that that uh you know it's involved in the film he's a producer on every single one of them yep um and it's so interesting that uh even though he has his fingerprint on the film and he's very demanding and so forth, he's very much able to almost treat the series a little bit like a comic book. And I think that's appropriate things as we just finished up comic book month to mention the fact that this series, they are very much all standalone pieces as much as there's supposed to be chronologically sequential per se. It's somewhat irrelevant um, because they all just kind of, much in the way of a comic book, they they could very well be an alternate universe or um, just a hypothetical and things like that. If you compare it to, say, for example, um, the X Men or or any Marvel character, and and we're going to talk in a minute, or actually, let's just do it now. The the connection between X Men and uh, and Mission Impossible Two, because if you guys remember, I said in in uh, in the X Men episode that there was a another actor originally cast as Wolverine before. Hugh Jackman, and that is Doug Ray Scott, who's the villain. He plays uh, Sean Ambrose in two. Right. He plays the only guy that can can uh, disguise himself as Ethan Hunt. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so <clears throat> uh, it's it's a really interesting franchise because it seems to be very fluid. Like it can just go, it can be whatever, what whoever's. Uh, manning the helm of it uh wants it to be it seems very pliable which is interesting and i like that i like that because again it just reiterates the fact that it is a um it is just a fun 
like series of movies. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be interesting visually. It's supposed to be compelling because of its action pieces and these sorts of things. It's not. Um, it's not anything to be. Maybe not to be studied. You know, as a as one of the greatest pieces of, of of film to come out of you know a given decade or something like that. But it's a standalone piece because it is. It's just candy. You know. Yeah, exactly. It's escapism, pure entertainment. It's not ever supposed to be political commentary where the these bad guys who do want to take over the world have some kind of, you know, motive that can be seen as an allegory for our current political climate. It's never been like that. Not no. like not like the great action movies of the the eighties where it was usually a Russian villain, you know? Yeah. Uh, I forget which Rocky was the Russian one, I think. Four. Four, yeah. Or like the Rambo films or something. Yeah. It's such a but And even you brought up Bond, like the whole uh um the the um uh, I guess it's um Living Daylights where he's in Afghanistan for a bit of that film and these sorts of things, yeah, they absolutely kind of parody a lot of these spy films or action films, uh, they tend to kind of borrow a little bit from from the social climate, absolutely. And and this film series is like, fuck it, whatever. Tie Tom to a plane and shoot it. Great, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, and I mean, it's weird because like you guys were saying that in these in these movies, people are just categories. They are their vocations. It's weird because with Tom Cruise, like... I don't even know what is going on in that guy's head. He just seems so <laughs> intensely focused all the time. And it seems like with Mission Impossible, he has something to prove. And that would be that he's capable of the kind of, you know, the demanding physicality that it takes to do all the stunts that he does do. What does he do? 80% of his stunts? Most yeah, of Yeah, the stunts? majority. Even when they have another stunt guy on set, they, they generally always, they'll do a as many shots as they can with him now i i remember the story two stand out sorry the second film stands out for me because um they actually never got permission and they never got uh they never cleared it through insurance to actually do all the the climbing shit in utah oh from really the beginning of the film wow. because they could never they would no one would ever allow tom cruise whether he was on wires or not to just like hang off the side of a cliff with one hand and shit like that. Oh wow! So, so they just went and did it, and then told them after the fact. Oh my god! Well, you have to admire that, I guess. It's just like, is it yeah. brave or is it psychotic? Like, yeah. And the same thing with one um, when they were doing the train stuff, which is supposed to be in France, but they shoot it. Uh, where did they shoot it? They shot it in Scotland, I think, mm. and. Um, they couldn't, and then obviously like the close-up stuff, and when he climbs out on the train and all that, most of it's shot in a studio, and I believe actually the same studio that that a lot of the Bond stuff is shot in. Don't quote me on that, but I'm almost positive. Um, and so, like the exterior stuff is on site, but all the uh, or some of it, um, but most of it is um, uh, on a soundstage, and they couldn't replicate the the wind velocity that they wanted like tom was adamant that he wanted when he climbed up on the the roof of the train that he wanted uh it to like the wind just like fuck up his face and right. shit. like he wanted to be so vicious and and so they spent a ton of time trying to find 
uh, a wind machine that was powerful enough. And the only thing that they could find was a wind machine that they used for skydiving, yeah. which, again, Tom knew about because yeah. of his skydiving lessons. Right, right. And and so they found one in all of Europe and, and had the thing brought in to the soundstage so that they could, you know, get those shots with just him his tie just ripping off of him and all of this stuff and you gotta wonder like how fucking crazy are you dude like, like you want to make your life just absolutely miserable. Yeah, yeah. So that's what's great about all the the stunt scenes all throughout the series is when he has that intense look of concentration on his face, mm. you know he's not acting because he's actually trying not to die. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what's good about it. But the whole, because everyone's a category, it does miss a lot of opportunities for humor that it could mine, but... Yeah. The action sequences are kind of the focus, not so much the jokes. I don't know. <laughs> I like the the way that um that that, that like Mission Impossible two um uh cliff uh climbing scene, like the the insurance issues, like what that says about like Hollywood insurance in general. Like yeah. <laughs> wait, 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 you're gonna put Tom Cruise up on a mountain? No way. Like okay, yeah. you're you're gonna put some guy who might die? Okay. That's I fine. don't think they could have done <laughs> like, it even with just some guy. There there's literally like a a dollar value put on, on, on human life. Yeah. And if it's Tom Cruise, <laughs> then that is too much money. But yeah. if it's some other guy, Okay, he can die. We don't care. <laughs> yeah, and they always have problems with it. They never just are eventually just give in. Because it's like even with Jack Reacher and some of the the stuff that he's done more recently, um, the Night and Day with Cameron Diaz and stuff, a lot of these sequences, they had to kind of lie about how they were shooting them. Like, oh, wait, you're going to get Tom behind a muscle car, but you're going to get a stunt guy to do some of the driving, et cetera, et cetera, just to, just to get it. Uh, just to get insurance, and uh, with the Mission Impossible series, like he's had at least like a half dozen reasonably major injuries, like sol- uh, shoulder injuries, and um, like I think he might have had to have something done to his lower back and leg injuries and stuff. Um, he's not quite as crazy in terms of like having to get as many surgeries as someone like Jackie Chan or something like that, but it's uh, it's super physical, uh, you know, and and demanding and. And you I gotta don't applaud even, him. You gotta applaud him for it. I don't even know what kind of medical treatment he's getting because of his religious beliefs. Doesn't he not go to hospitals? He does, but he can't use like painkillers and stuff like that. Oh Jesus! Yeah. So uh, that brought that conversation to a halt. <laughs> <laughs> In any case, do you gentlemen want to get into the films? Sure. Okay. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna break it down. We're gonna do, I guess, three segments. Um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit, we'll go, uh, one and two, three and four, and then we'll bring it home with five and maybe either our hopes for six or what have you. Um, <clears throat> so Mission Impossible, 1996, uh, obviously directed by Brian De Palma. Now I think I've mentioned in past episodes, this is the first film that I ever saw, uh, Brian De Palma's. Which I know seems insane, but keep in mind I was ten when this film came out, right? Um, and I saw it driving with the Phantom. Yeah, as I already mentioned, <laughs> great day. Um, I love this film. I love how this film looks, uh, and I think a lot of uh, a lot of trends from this film have gone on uh, and and appeared in other action pieces. Obviously, I mentioned the Wolverine. Uh, 
Mission Impossible train kind of thing uh, in the X Men episode. Um, the that that um, he, that scene in the restaurant where uh, it's just the the shots between. Uh, Kittredge and Ethan are just going back and forth and back and forth, and it's uh, it's below them. It's angled up. Um, that intensity and the uh, the camera work in that scene um, really drives that. I, I, not that it wasn't there in the performances. I think that in particular that scene is incredibly well acted in this film. But um, I love I love the that how that's shot, and I don't think. Even the other directors who have done Mission Impossible films would would shoot a scene like that in a similar way, you know, which is apparent in the fact that obviously, for example, Mission Impossible one stands out because Ethan never fires a gun in the fucking movie, and uh, there's not a huge shootout sequence or anything like that. It's a very, um, very action based uh, film, and yet there's no gunfire. Um, and, and it's really interesting. I, I think that takes a special, special kind of director and, and having De Palma uh, kind of, I guess, coming towards the tail end of, of his the, the best part of his catalog, in my opinion, is uh, I wouldn't have wanted to see this film in anyone else's hands. I, I mean, again, it's a real toss up for me um, between uh, one and three. I mean, number one. Um, I think obviously there's that uh, iconic um, CIA infiltration. Scene, yeah, the Langley. Is, uh, oh, amazing! It's just really masterfully done. And um, Gene Reno in the vent with the, yeah. the rat. <laughs> so good. I like. There's so many. Like you're just you're you're worried about one thing, and then you know he gets past that, and it's like all of a sudden it, you know because there's there's all of these different sensors, so it's like okay. Like, no worries, he, you know, he, he stopped right before he hit the floor, so we're fine. Oh, wait, like, the temperature's going up by, like, 0.1 degrees, shit. <laughs> like, oh, wait, there's a tiny bead of sweat on his <laughs> nose. Like, any of these things could completely fuck the whole operation. Yeah. And it's uh, just great that there's there's that, you know, such a, a tight threshold. Um, I, I Like, Krieger helps them break in there. Um uh, Gene Reno, yeah, and he's not. He's the he's the 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 like the double agent. I don't. Yeah, he he's already been. Um, well, the thing is, Claire picks he, him. Why didn't he just drop him? You know, why didn't he? Because just... he needs the knock list. He knows that Ethan is right, the only one that right, can right. get it. Okay. So yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. thing. You don't know at that point, but Jim is playing Ethan because Ethan is, is has communicated to Max that she'll get the list. So so Max is saying to the real Job. This is the situation. He's saying, okay, we'll let this guy do it because he's the only one that can't do it. You know? they're, they're... And also, if he were to drop him, that'd be a pretty elaborate way to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He could have done something else if it were his intention. <laughs> yeah, you just stabbed the shit out of Sarah so at the plan? beginning. What's your plan, Krieger? You get, are you going to just shoot him? No, 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 no. I got this figured out. We're going to break into the CIA, right? Yeah. <laughs> Are you still with me? No, we're not. <laughs> plan the most elaborate mission known to man, and then just as he's about to succeed, I'll drop him. Yeah, <laughs> that uh... that strikes me as a very Gene Reno plan. <laughs> <though>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
uh, who I love Gene oh, Reno, I man. He's so he's much. the best. And I I I did want to mention too. While there's no guns, there certainly is a lot of explosive gum, isn't there? Yeah, a lot of explosive <laughs> gum. <laughs> yeah, Krieger gets killed by the chewing yeah, gum. Central. Yeah, and that's the other thing to jump on to your point, Devin, is the fact that he again with elaborate, like for, for real this time <laughs> with an elaborate measure of killing Ethan instead of just picking up John Voight and leaving Ethan on outside of a fucking train. <laughs> He tries to kill him with the helicopter blades. He's trying to angle him down, and Ethan just jumps on, does the red light, green light, and smacks it on the window and jumps off. Right, but that does work pretty effectively. I remember a John Woo film where uh, there's a train fight and helicopter blades are used to great effect to knock a bunch oh, of yeah, people off fantastic. the front of the train. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying it just jump. you know, yeah, it's a little, it's a little weird to use a helicopter with elaborate <laughs> as a weapon. Yeah. <laughs> death by helicopter, death by chewing gum. Yeah. This series has it all. Any kind of inanimate object you can use to kill someone, they're going to do it. Um, I like... I very much like the... Uh, the interaction if you if you remember from the opening sequence okay there's a there's a shot of ethan and claire kissing it's not in the film uh in that the when the uh you know the spark lights and they're following the the trail um and then in between it's cutting sequences from the movie and and there's a scene there and i i love that they actually cut that out of the film that it's just it because it, 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 it makes Ethan's longing for Claire, which in all seriousness, who isn't in love with Emmanuel Barrett? Uh, like, in all seriousness, <laughs> mm-hmm. she's beautiful. Um, but I, I love that because it just makes that longing all the more uh, tense. You know, I think that if you ever saw that kind of come to fruition, then you'd be... It's alluded to, obviously, you assume that they, they you know do it but <laughs> it's it's not seen it's just alluded to and it makes it so much um more compelling somehow i don't know i just i love that i love that that um he's blind he's completely blind to um to claire's manipulation uh and and that's so interesting even when he's replaying the events of of the night and and is trying to figure out, say, for example, who blew up Hannah and all these things. And and you you get uh, in his mind, you get him thinking, OK, Claire blew up Hannah. And then no, 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 no. wait, wait, wait. No, he could have done that. Jim could have done it. And 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 just is completely unwilling to accept the fact that it's pretty obvious Claire's in on this. And, and even when Gene Reno thinks he has the disc and is and, and uh, they have to do a little magic trick to uh, to you know get the disc back from him trick him into thinking that ethan still has the disc um all of that if he wasn't blinded by this just insane desire for this woman he wouldn't he, he would have just been like yep get out or shoot her or whatever then he would have got a shot a uh, gunshot in the film at least you know <laughs> <laughs> the, soul, the soul gunshot yeah would yeah. be for his uh yeah, well, you know, Jim shoots her in the end anyway, so I guess it There's one gunshot, but there's no gunfight, which all of the other films have. Anything else you gentlemen want to touch on with this film? I think that there's so much more we could talk about. Obviously, you get that great Luther Stickle character uh showing up for the first time 
And uh, there's a little bit of the, you know, a little bit better quips than you see from Tom and Ving Rhames. Get a little bit more, um, you know, oh, hi there. And all these things from him uh, when he's uh, when they're breaking into Langley. Yeah, well, I mean, I just noticed that really a trend that really started ramping up in the 90s was at the end of a film. Something would be said, you know, they might as well be saying, well... Pretty soon we'll be making a sequel, so get ready for that. Because, yeah. like, I'm pretty sure he tries to quit. And they put it on a plane. He gets on the plane, and your missions, should you choose to accept. Yeah. Or, no, they don't get to that part. It's just like, would, could I interest you in, you know, the uh, film of whatever nation it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, then again, I mean, who started this trend? I would like to know who started this trend. Yeah. Maybe Bond? No. They're kind of standalone films. Yeah. The, the Die Hard certainly didn't do it. No. The Die Hard's always end with John McClane on a blanket for some reason. <laughs> the cops are like, here, you're, you're tired. Have this blanket. <laughs> it's like, it's warm out. Have the blanket. Just take the fucking blanket. Holly! <laughs> uh, John! You know, when I was reading about this film, something else that I noticed, it's the last major uh studio release of any f- major film studio to come out on betamax <laughs> <laughs> really yeah i i was surprised to read that 1996 still releasing betamax that's really late it's coming it, back what no it's, I mean, okay. it's obviously not but <laughs> oh man that would be terrible would you guys like to move on to two? Yeah, let's move on to two. The John Woo one. We'll bounce. We'll bounce around. I'm sure. I sh- I'm sure some of uh, some of the stuff from one is going to come back up. Um. Yeah. So four years after <laughs> Mission Impossible one, we're thinking that there's going to be an immediate another case that Ethan's on. Nope. Uh, instead, it takes four years, ample time for him to. Uh, um, grow his hair out and uh um acquire a predilection for metallica i suppose mm-hmm. i love how you were writing down metallica as i said metallica <laughs> yeah yeah well, that's what I, like i don't remember a whole lot of this movie but what i do remember was the promotional sequences and cycles like it was everywhere it wasn't just the limp biscuit song or the metallica song which they played at the mtv movie awards i remember metallica yeah. They were introduced by Ryan Felipe. Yeah, <laughs> which is really weird. First uh, movie, uh, yeah, first movie that they ever c- contributed an original song for, or rather, that they wrote specifically for that film. Yeah, Metallica, which is interesting. Yeah, because they gave their music to the Paradise Lost guys, but they didn't write for the. Well, like I remember, also on TV before MI2 came out, there was an hour-long special, like kind of a life of a paparazzi guy. Paparazzi, is that plural? Paparazzo? Yeah. yeah. Whatever. Papar- a guy who takes pictures of celebrities and sells them for a living. And he had staked himself out in the Utah desert with camouflage <laughs> to get photos of Tom Cruise. And um, he hadn't sold them, but he claimed to have pictures of Tom Cruise urinating because, I mean, you know, it's a movie People set. People have to pee, yeah. But, like, I remember that was just an hour-long special. And that was pretty cool, too. And this is all before the movie came out. Interesting. Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, that opening sequence uh, is really cool. And then uh, for some reason you end up uh, him in, in some city having cappuccino with Anthony Hopkins. So he finally got the cappuccino that he requested number one. So that's that's pretty good. 
Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and obviously this film is completely stylistically different. You go from De Palma to Wu and obviously throughout the series uh, up until the newest one, which I guess will be um, the first film that's directed you know two in a row by the same director but every every film up to this point has been a different director at the helm so there are some signature you know john woo elements to the film obviously um the motorcycle stuff uh the the fucking dubs he loves his dubs he does he has usually (laughs) more wooden dialogue at least more so than de palma yeah he uh, yeah he doesn't really care. He no, John Woo does just not. say the words. Let's get to shit blowing up. Yeah, he would probably like to direct a silent action film someday. Oh, that would be that. W- I would watch that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, as as much as this film for me is my least favorite, um, there's some really interesting stuff in it. Uh, like I alluded to already, the the motorcycle fight at the end and the. The, that shot that just cuts to um, the knife like an inch from Tom Cruise's eye, Ooh, which yeah. yeah, which they did. Like Tom insisted on them actually putting it, uh, like putting a cable, tying a cable, and uh, and uh, forcing it, having um, uh, Doug Ray Scott actually like force it down and push as hard as he can, and, and have it just like that. It can't go any farther than like a quarter of an inch away from his eye. And and so they're actually legitimately fighting for that that shot, and that's a really cool um, the way that it's it cuts to the close up and then immediately back to the action. It just it's it's really tastefully done. Something that that Wu does really well, and people underestimate about him is is that he's willing to um, uh, visually emphasize the uh, these kind of um, small like just just seemingly unimportant to a lot of filmmakers the uh, these elements of say for example an action sequence is where he shines he just knows where people will connect emotionally yeah he's really like his action scenes are particularly chaotic i think that's why mm-hmm. he likes to you know use so many camera angles so you understand what's happening but yeah that's true you don't get and obviously this film was before the big wave of shaky cam shit uh, that that happened uh, in the I guess mid two thousands. Um, very clean action. Yeah. Very um, fixed camera work. Although there are a lot of cuts, um, it doesn't seem tedious. And also, you don't get disoriented. You know exactly what's going on, which is uh, which I like. I, I respect that about him. I really do. Now I've heard stories because I I know I know. Uh, with absolute certainty that um that Wu had some issues with with crew members actually a couple people he you know were fired at really? least one one notable i believe the cinematographer i'm not positive on that but was was replaced uh very you know three weeks into shooting or something like that um and and i've heard and I can't corroborate this. I was quickly trying to. Um, I feel like I've seen it in, uh, say, for example, one of the documentaries on on Alan Smithy or the you know the lore of Alan Smithy, the name um, that he did apply for an Alan Smithy for this film, uh, and that he wasn't able to get it because of the fact that he was um, such a prominent pr- uh, part of the promotion. Right. And 
like he'd already signed up to do a promotional cycle, but he he well he's already he was just in the news. Very similar to what uh, happened with Tony K with American History X, where he had already been out talking about almost his dissatisfaction with the film, right? And so everyone at that point already knew he was the director of American History X. So granting him an Alan Smithy would make no sense to the Directors Guild, and the same thing very much happened with John Woo. Uh, but to the opposite, where there was just all of this press coming out, Wu's coming on to do Mission Impossible 2 and, and, you know, get ready for elaborate fight sequences and action sequences and explosions and dubs and all of these things. That <laughs> dubs, he loves that. But they, so they wouldn't They're give pigeons him... pigeons in this movie if it, you know, if it's... They, a, they didn't give him Final they, Cut. They, they wouldn't give him an Alan Smithy. And yeah, they wouldn't give him Final Cut either. They He made, <laughs> he made a three and a half hour version of this film. <laughs> And the studio's like, just, no, 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 just come back to us when it's an hour and 20 minutes. So, yeah, I'd, lo- I'd love to see the three, well, I don't know <laughs> if I'd love to see the three and a half hour version of this film, but that's probably, I, you know, I, I read an interesting article talking about that's probably why all of the, the plot holes in this film exist, because it was really just cut and paste. You know, there's some unaired early episodes of Mermel, like there's a Bond one that happened before we we started officially taping this show. And Devin and I argued back and forth for four hours with microphones on yeah. about James Bond. Right. And we'll go back and do a Bond episode for everyone listening uh, one of these days. But, I, you know, there's no way to edit that down so uh, to make it coherent. And so I can completely see where... Uh, Wu's coming from that he'd be dissatisfied with whatever the finished project uh, product was. Because right, because like you're, you're going to have in half. you're going to have characters referencing things that happen that the audience hasn't even seen. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean to be fair, uh, like I'm reading uh, something here on uh, uh, Robert Town, uh, the screenwriter. Uh, was brought on, and his quote is, it was an interesting problem because by the time I got involved, there were certain action pieces around which the story had to be written, or at very least, the story couldn't interfere with the action pieces. These scenes through the storytelling process had become solidified in John Woo's mind. So what it really came down to is somebody saying, these are the action sequences that we've got. How right about story? telling the story? <laughs> like, <laughs> that is so can backwards. Can you really blame anybody but yourself when yeah. you're like, okay, so we've got a motorcycle fight and we've got the doves and yeah. we've got... We need Tom Cruise walking flying. walking through a flaming door. So what's the movie about? I, <laughs> <laughs> I just told you what it's about. It's like, regardless of story, the following things are going to happen. Yeah, we need, and and of course, again, another staple of the series. We already alluded to the disavowed, the uh, going rogue, all of these things. He also has to be at some point in the film hanging from a rope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mandatory. Well, hanging from something. He yeah. has to be he always. Someone has to be hanging from something, exactly, or it's not Mission Impossible. Like if you ever have a dream, or or you think you're dreaming and you're not certain, and you end up disavowed, hanging from a rope, hanging out with Ving Rhames, you're in a Mission Impossible dream. That's yeah. what you're doing right now. And yeah, it's so that's fucking that's so sad. Yeah, I mean, I guess like who you know who can you blame but yourself? Yeah, I, mean, I would say don't grant him the Alan Smithy on the grounds that like you're pretty much you're like you you did this to yourself. Yeah, like, you. It sounds like, suspiciously like the guy who directed Wild Wild West, which is a huge oh, yeah. piece of shit. He <laughs> was determined spider. to have a, a giant metal spider in his film, regardless. Well, of, that's the producer. That's of what um, the movie would be. Yeah, that's the producer. <laughs> 
Because yeah, I remember that from Kevin Smith's first talk there. Yeah. 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 What What is that producer's name? I can't remember. John Peters. John or... Peters. That's who it is. Wow. Unenfeld. Yeah. Yeah. John Peters. Uh, he loved the big spiders. He wanted the big spiders in a but movie. But didn't this also happen with one? Didn't Brian De Palma start filming before they had a completed script? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, he did. That's why, like for example, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot more than just that kissing scene I alluded to that's in that opening sequence and in the trailers that that never made it to the final cut. Yeah, he they had to get rid of them because a test audience didn't like them or something. Yeah, there um there's a lot of films like that. Like we've talked about briefly, The Fugitive, that film basically not having a script and them showing up every day and just kind of writing pages and being like, here, Harrison, here, Tommy Lee Jones, just act this out. Really? Just, like, figure it out. I don't know. That's why there is a lot of ad lib. And, like, for example, we talked about it, too, with that film, that that whole sequence, uh, the St. Paddy's Day Parade sequence, that's just the real parade. They just happen to be there filming, and they're like, all right, run through the fucking parade. <laughs> And they just got a couple of steady cams and went. That's and, great. And there's a lot of stuff like that in, in Mission Impossible. It's it, it it really with the first two specifically. There's a lot of these great behind the scenes stories where you just find out, oh fuck, you know, they had no idea what the hell they were doing, and they just went for it, you know, uh, which you gotta respect. That would never happen now. Yeah, you figure you. Who knows? Who knows? You you'd hope that. Uh, that the film is a little bit more coherent nowadays. Obviously, the, as as you alluded to off air, Devin, um, eighty million dollars the budget of the first film, comparative to what was the what was the newest film made for? Um, the most recent was one hundred and fifty million. Yeah, so substantial jump, and they they didn't know what they were getting into. That's that's the truth of it. Well, yeah, the two latest are both 150 million, and they both made well 694 and 682 respectively. Yeah. So if you make an MI film, you're guaranteed to make 550 million dollars. I would get a little lazy and start going back to the old ways of doing scripts, which is to say, not having one. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, it's called Mission Impossible. There's uh, here's here's the action pieces. And because these movies are only ever as good as their villains, you notice that like things. When characters are sitting around discussing what's to be done, it's getting increasingly desperate, like, you know. Yeah, the first one is so beautiful in that that tense sequence of the four of them sitting there talking, breaking down all of the obstacles that they're going to face when they get into Langley. Versus, obviously, the the first go-around with Jeremy Renner in 4, where they're they're in a fucking train with all this technology, and they're just like, I don't know, we're going to do some shit. Yeah, or, like, I mean, they do have a detailed... um, plan put together with the simon peg one when they're standing around the room with the double agent you know it's like well you have to hold your breath for two minutes and ethan doesn't even say anything he's just like well obviously that's going to work because i'm ethan hunt what is this the this is the underwater scene in five yeah yeah that's six minutes he has to hold his breath for six minutes really and he actually did it i thought it was two he's an idiot Six minutes. Yeah. But, like, well, in the movie, he doesn't do it. She has to resuscitate him, right? Yeah, but he actually is legitimately underwater for that long and, like, trained with champion, like, deep-sea divers and shit. Jesus Christ. I don't know what's wrong with this man. He must be brain damaged. What does he have to prove? (laughs) He has a lot to prove. He's a short guy. He's not that short. Like, Is he not? I thought he was, like, 5'8". Oh, I thought he was, like... He's not like 5'2 or something. (laughs) (laughs) 
he's got a lot to prove. One day he's going to try to leave the Church of Scientology, and David Miscavige will release all of his auditing sessions <laughs> in which he admits to being attracted to Val Kilmer. Who isn't? He can be my co-pilot anytime. Yeah. Man, Val Kilmer's face just gets bigger and bigger. It just keeps growing <laughs> over the years. <laughs> like, Devin, when I was living with you in 2008, we watched a movie, a Val Kilmer we called Deja Vu, where, like, they bend the universe in half so they can go back in time to save a girl from, I don't know, slipping on a pen or some bullshit. <laughs> and uh, Val Kilmer's face was gigantic then. And that was eight years ago. Now. Yeah, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, that was, he was Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. like, he was he was brilliant in that. But even seeing some of the press afterwards, like... <laughs> his face is his a potato. Head next to Robert Downey Jr.'s head. His face is a potato and his yeah. body is a pickle. He's a potato pickle. He's a weird, weird looking guy. Oh, I really hope this makes it into the episode. <laughs> I would like to see Val Kilmer as a Mission Impossible villain. Oh, that would be great. That would be nice. That would be great. He played a villain recently in a really bad movie. Uh, I forgot He's the name. a quality, quality actor. Great actor. In any case, I think this may be a good time just so we can get this thing back on the rails to take a short break. Come back. Let's discuss three and four, which um, definitely, in my opinion, rejuvenated the series. Uh, and uh, and see where it goes from there. See how we can fucking divert this conversation more so. Cool. Hey, everyone. So uh, next week we are going to be trying to decide which one is better. Ridley Scott's Alien or James Cameron's Aliens. Uh, I don't think we're going to accomplish much, but we're certainly going to argue a lot. So we hope you'll join us then. Uh, Additionally, I want to kind of informally announce that uh, the week of April 18th through the 22nd, uh, we're going to be releasing an episode every single day uh, in celebration of 80s action films. It will be our 80s action week from April 18th to 22nd. Uh, So join us back here then we're going to have some fun stuff that you guys can get in on with us and uh, uh, yell at us tell us how we're wrong etc etc so we hope you'll join us then as well and i'm very much uh, looking forward to the chaos that that's going to be it's going to be our biggest panel ever Uh, really looking forward to it okay so we're back and uh let's get into mission impossible three gentlemen now, we've already laid a lot of praise on Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance in this film. Uh, another thing that I find interesting is this is J.J. Uh, Abrams' first uh, directorial effort. And um, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, Devin, but it is the, at the time, until recently, I believe it is the highest uh, budget a first-time director had ever been given. Up until that point, which is you know, which makes sense. It's Mission Impossible when you shit the blow up and so forth, and you know, a dude hanging on a rope, these sorts of things. Um, <clears throat> no dove budget in this one, though, sadly. But um, this is a great film. Uh, Davian is one of my favorite villains of the entire series, right up there with what they did with the Jim Phelps character, which obviously is the only villain to or the only character to come over from from the TV show. Um, and to kind of flip him and turn him into a villain, very cool. But with this film, um, 
like we talked about briefly before, there's a lot of humanity mm-hmm. and an unexpected amount of humanity in the Ethan Hunt character. And I wonder how much of that was a conscious choice, not just to forward the plot, but um, to give the character new depth. It really did this. This film really did breathe new life into the film series. Do we all concur? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. The scene where uh, his is it his uh, girlfriend who gets shot as he's staring at her. Uh, fiance. Short the fiance. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Jesus, the reaction shot there is pretty horrifying. Yeah. He's. Uh, I mean, what Hoffman counts down from ten and shoots her on seven or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna tell me what I want to know. Ten. No. <laughs> See ya. Yeah, and then, of course, this fucking mask reveal, like always. No, no. Oh, it wasn't her, actually, but, yeah, like, it's... Yeah. I would credit J.J. Abrams, mostly. With He's such a good director. Yeah, as 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 we've come to find out at that point, he'd mostly been associated with writing Lost, uh, Alias, this kind of shit, you know. Um, but, yeah, really, really interesting film. Another cool thing that I find about this film out of the whole series most uh for me it aesthetically is the coldest a lot of blue a lot of green much more so than the other films there's a lot of red in the uh color correction in the other films i feel like a lot of the, all of the other films have this warmth to them mm. but for whatever reason uh they decided to go with a much colder aesthetic i did notice uh, that yeah, yeah a lot of greens in this film yeah i wonder if that i don't know it must have been a decision they made beforehand yeah yeah because you you need to do that and at the lighting stage long before you'd ever get to to editing, obviously. But yeah, it's it's interesting um, that it is so aesthetically different. We talk about. I know that there's a lot of sequels that come a long way after the original, but you don't. There's not a lot of part threes, for example, not prequels, not anything, but continuations. Yeah, that come six years after the sequel um so you know you got mission impossible in 1996 four years later in 2000 you have mi2 and it's not until 2006 that we get mi3 right and it's so interesting because obviously out of that it's really changed the pace of how quickly these films come out every couple years kind of thing now yeah it is which is which is interesting and also obviously now you get the uh you get like jj abrams has been an executive producer on every subsequent film yeah which is really interesting you see the 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 bad robot emblem pre-credit role you know on every film now and post-credit role Right, so he's keeping an eye on things. Like, I wonder how much of this will had to do with Tom Cruise at the kind of nadir of his career. Yeah, there's some great talking, uh, talking? There's some great interviews with Abrams on that very thing. Like, how he just, it was almost like uh, Tom courted him to be his friend. Yeah, I've read that. Yeah, yeah, and he that's so interesting. Came just, after him for the to direct it. Yeah, he headhunted him, but yeah. not even not even telling him that he was doing this. Just kind of, hey, you're cool. Let's hang out. Let's <laughs> yeah. go to dinner. Let's. What do you think of this? You know, and that, and then next thing you know, they're making a movie together, and then subsequently they're friends out of it, which is so interesting. Yeah, I love that. It's weird because, like you said, well, yeah, we have it coming after. Six years after the sequel, yeah. almost always when there's that much time, the number three is 
absolutely terrible. Yeah, and it's usually like direct to video and well, like Home Alone, <laughs> Home Alone Three yeah. with that little shit Robo-Cop who's not Macaulay Culkin. Um, Terminator Three, which yeah. is one of the worst. Well, ones. that had a theatrical release, but that was, as Devin said, it redeemed itself in the last five minutes, and then yeah, not really. But yeah, the, there's there the, there's not a good track record for part threes that come this far after um, the last iteration. And it's so interesting that it is one of the best. I think everyone has it. You have it at number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I have it at yeah. two. Devin has it at two. It's so interesting that um, it, it, it really did breathe new life. Yeah, it just shows entirely. you, like, with yeah, with a steady enough hand, and, like, it, they're obviously making a bid for the franchise here. It was either going to stop being made forever or it was going to continue on. And now they're going to make one of these every couple of years until Tom is too old to look good. <laughs> oh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> He's going to be like 85 during Mission Impossible 85. He's already starting to look a little rough, but I mean, he doesn't smoke, he doesn't drink. So. It's good. You know, it's funny, too, because before he was cast, there was a whole bunch of other actors that they had uh, or that they were looking at. Like who? Um... For some reason, Mel Gibson comes to mind, but he was he was an afterthought. <laughs> yeah, um, I can't remember who else. I it, it, real really interesting. You could probably find that if you look it up on the first one, Devin. My um, God, it was tough times in the late nineties, dear listeners. It's like you just could not escape Mel Gibson or Gene Hackman in the late nineties. Yeah. Every time you turned around, they were in a new film. Mm-hmm. Especially Hackman. I'm so glad he retired. Yeah. Another interesting thing I read on three was that, you know, the, like Carrie Russell in the beginning, her whole sequence with my, my head's going to explode and all of that shit. Yeah. Uh, or she doesn't know that. <laughs> but uh, her head does explode. Um, Scarlett Johansson was originally cast. Really? For that role. Wow. Uh, and uh, I don't know why she had to step out on it, but uh, it's interesting because I really like Carrie Russell. I think that... that her and Ethan, like the two characters, have a really interesting bond, and it can it never plays as sexual, never as an attraction, just two good friends. And one of the, maybe with the exception of Luther, mm-hmm. um, the only other relationship that I can think of in the film series um, that seems like a true friendship. Obviously, his relationship to Jim seems almost like a surrogate paternal situation uh, in the first one, and so beyond. Beyond Luther, I think that this is the most emotionally connected that you see him uh, in a platonic kind of way with any character, which is so interesting. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, I like it. I really enjoy all of the the amount that you get to root for Ethan in this film. I also love how long you get to watch Tom Cruise fucking run in this film. Mm. He runs for like two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> on screen like it's literally one tracking shot of him just fucking running along uh you know with him on the phone with benji just <laughs> where am i going where am i going just keep fucking running i don't know yeah yeah you know, you'll get there and then of course i love the line we talked about this off air the you know i'm gonna die you're gonna have to kill me <laughs> and then you're gonna have to bring me back what <laughs> oh that's Zap. right yeah yeah he's the, he's, when he zaps his head <laughs> MacGyver's it. 
So good. And I love he puts the, the spoon, the wooden spoon in his mouth, and it snaps when he shocks himself. Yeah. So good. Gives himself um, amateur electroshock. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why he's so bland in the following films. <laughs> he doesn't have a personality anymore. Oh, man. And then he, he, he wakes up. And he immediately reaches for the gun and is like looking around, mm-hmm. and and that's such that's a great moment too. And then he has this shocked look when he realizes, of course, that that she's killed everyone. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Yeah, that's right. I'm marrying this girl." Yeah. Um. Yeah. Great film. Any final points on this film, gentlemen? Uh, not really. I mean, Fishburne was all right. That's about all I can remember. I seem to recall him in the very last scene, like, well, you did it again, Hunt. Yeah. I'm so sorry for all of the shit I put you through and that whole exchange where you had to sneak out through the vents while rocking out to classic rock. I should have paid more attention. Yeah. (laughs) This other guy that kept putting your name on all of your files, it just seems so strange. Like, why the fuck is Dr. Manhattan so evil in this film? It's like Dr. Manhattan and Truman Capote team up to fuck up Ethan Hunt's life. So, are we moving on to four? Ghost Protocol. Yeah. I like this movie. I like this movie a lot. Um, Up until this point, I wasn't a huge Jeremy Renner fan. And I think this film was one of the ones that started to change my my feelings towards him. Um, It's interesting because when you first see him, he's he's obviously very opposed to to Ethan. Mm -hmm. And you don't understand why. And then, of course, that story comes out that he was uh, tasked with the duty of protecting Ethan and his now wife, who was then subsequently killed. And he's carrying this guilt around with him because he failed them. Yeah. Which is so interesting. I'm sorry. Can I spoil this for you, Devin? Because you haven't seen it. Yeah. 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 So it's so gratifying at the end of the film when you see her you know living out this new life and and he kind of brings Renner in and you can literally see great great moment in the film in terms of just very minimalist acting where where you see this wave of relief come over him it's like this great uh you know weight of guilt that's been sitting on his shoulders for years it's put him behind a desk and and uh, you know driven him to um fear field work um has been lifted and then he takes the fallen and goes off and of course you now have a new member of of the uh the soon to be disavowed again team <laughs> <laughs> the soon to be disavowed via ghost protocol imf yeah. yeah yeah it is uh yeah it's a nice piece of acting for sure Mm-hmm. I mean, there's not a whole lot of that emotional vulnerability in this series, so it's good to see it when you can get it. Yeah, and that's that's something I I like. I don't like. Do you remember the trailers for this where they they kind of played it off as though it was going to be a big surprise? And it, you know, who are you really? And all of this shit. No, I don't remember that. And it bothered me because uh, when I saw the film and 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 realized that they were totally just baiting me into what I thought was going to be this this deeper story, and it's just, oh, yeah, I saw your wife get killed. Mm. Mm. <laughs> what? <laughs> and that ruined my life. Yeah. You seem to be fine. <laughs> no, I don't recall the trailer. Yeah. I don't know why. I've watched a lot of movies that year. Now, one thing that they never cleared up 
about that is okay so this serbian death squad comes after ethan and his wife right yeah and kills her but doesn't really Mm -hmm. but presumably ethan was in that russian prison because he killed all of them right (laughs) so now he just killed a bunch of innocent death squad guys well not innocent But they didn't. <laughs> I don't know if innocent death squad Just is a bunch uh... of innocent members of a death squad. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he just he just killed them needlessly. Is my point. He had no reason to kill them. Yeah, purposelessly. I, there were a lot of reasons to kill them. I'm sure. <laughs> like he's not doing it for himself. He's doing it for somebody else. Doing it for all those families that have been torn apart by the the results of their death squatting. Yeah, I mean, they were bad guys anyway, so... Oh, yeah, so who cares? They're disposable. It's like that Simpsons where uh, the giant advertisements come to life, and Chief Wiggum accidentally shoots the high school football ca- uh, basketball captain because he's super tall. <laughs> Chief, you just shot the basketball captain. Uh, yeah, he was turning into a monster, though. <laughs> so, the other thing that, that somewhat throws me off about this film is that weird... Um, uh, sequence at the beginning uh, with um, with Hannaway, this supposedly like great spy, right? And he's he's getting away, and he's he's being uh, he's being uh, uh, tracked um, by the rest of his team, and uh, and and he dies, and that seems to be a conduit for Paula Patton's character to seek revenge, you know, and and. There's supposed to be a lot of humanity in that that's that side story, and I just feel as though it falls flat. Like there's nothing ever really there for me. You know, you get you get the confrontation, um, like with uh, is it Moreau, Sabine Moreau, Sabine something, Sabine, yeah Moreau, Moreau. Okay, so you get this confrontation, and and there you know the action sequence, and it's it's all very choreographed and it feels to me like even though she has to not kill her and 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 rein in her emotions and all these things it all seems very sterile to me it you know the same kind of problems that i had with uh phantom menace with the the obi-wan darth maul uh fight sequence at the end that a lot of people love and i personally feel as though there was an opportunity there to show a side of obi-wan that you'd never seen and they didn't do it um, much in this way, as much as they're trying to show that she is an agent first and a human second, um, I don't ever feel that conflicted about it. Like I don't ever, I don't. I, I would have almost been happier. I feel like I would have gotten a little bit more out of it if she just killed her, mm-hmm. because there's no reason to keep that character around anyway. And obviously, she eventually does kill her, but it just seems so pointless at that point. Right? Yeah. Like it just. It, mm. <laughs> And obviously, it's preceded by the whole um, sequence, the climbing on uh, on the tower in Dubai, which is amazing. Mm. And again, another great example of the escalation in these films in terms of the action set pieces just continuously raising the bar. And I love that Brad Bird uh, actually like shot all of that. You know, there's no even with the say for example the jump in the third one onto the roof a lot of that is done in the studio and then it's kind of um it's you know in front of a green screen so they build a little bit of the set and then do the rest in front of a green screen 
with that, it's literally all like cameras shooting through the windows. Wow. Which yeah. is so cool. Yeah. Um, and they obviously had to legitimately get permission for that. And I believe they started Tom at the top with a helicopter. They took him up there and then he climbed down. Um, which is cool. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Again, you're crazy, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting because they keep raising the bar for these action sequences, but they never raise the stakes. It's always just some guy cackling who wants to take over the world or just get himself some money. As yeah. And that one seemed kind of it, – it it's a great point. All that they're trying to accomplish is just accessing a room. It's very much like what they were trying to do in number two when he had to you know, jump from the, the top and uh, and lower himself down through a tall building. It's the exact same thing. There's no more emotional investment in it. I believe they have to access a room in five, too. They get a new face for Cal, uh, Simon Pegg. Sorry, not Simon Cal. Well, but that... <laughs> <laughs> Simon Cal gets a new face. Yeah, but Renner is the one in five that uh, he has the... Because he has the magnet suit, like where he, you know, it's like you jump and I catch you. That whole thing. It's like you jump and you catch me. Yeah. I catch you. Right. And he's freaking out about this. Which, again, it's like Renner is the best part of that film in a lot of scenes. Yeah. And it's so interesting. Um, and especially, like, it shows how m- much uh, quality he's bringing to that role when I can honestly tell you I'm I'm still not a huge fan of his. And But I know, I know he's better than everyone else in these films. Right, right. Yeah. So in four... Or sorry, yeah. In four, he's he's the guy who I jump and I catch you, and then I can't remember what's the what's the scene in five that he has to they have to they have to infiltrate some kind of um, the syndicate headquarters, and Simon Pegg does that. It's some kind of biosecurity. He either has to get a new thumbprint or he has oh, to get a new yes, phase. yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're they're doing it on the quick as he's going through. Right, they have a ten second window or something, yeah. and Simon Pegg's shitting his pants, but he gets through somehow. Yeah. No, it's and that's the whole Tom holding his breath for six minutes thing. And yes, so it is. Yeah. So, like the franchise is usually comes down to them getting into rooms they don't have access to. <laughs> we'll add that to the list of prerequisites for a uh, a Mission Impossible film. You can simplify anything. Yeah, disavowed, uh, hanging from a roof, getting into a room. Uh, accessing rooms thought to be inaccessible yeah going rogue yeah <laughs> elaborate jumps these kinds of things they're staples of the franchise ving rams ving rams <laughs> you know i mean like my, one of my favorite quotes about playing in a band is that uh it's playing music is mostly about uh carrying black boxes from one end of town to the other mm-hmm. transporting sorry you know amplifiers whatever so yeah am i the whole MI series can be melted down into that. Ving Rhames, mm-hmm. getting into rooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... Double but they're agents. still... They're so fun. I, I don't understand it because this, they're, they're greater... Somehow they're greater films than the sum of their parts, which I find very interesting. Because have you ever... Have you ever had to try and explain any of these films? Like, try and explain... Particularly, say, for example, Ghost Protocol. Mm-hmm. to someone and just be like okay so they have to go into ghost protocol they initiate ghost protocol and they're on a train and they're talking about things that they have to do and then they have a printer and a briefcase and tom cruise climbs on the tallest building in the world <laughs> like, yeah or five it's like 
See, the prime minister says not to let anyone in the room, but the prime minister is actually Tom Cruise wearing the prime minister's face. Know what I mean? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, it's fuck. They're it's like so, it's so weird, but they somehow are just great films. Yeah. Um any final thoughts on 4, I guess, gentlemen? Uh No. Actually, you know what? I have a few more. I we talked about this, the the film's quality is dependent on the quality of the villains, and Michael Nyquist is a great villain. Yep. I alluded to a little bit before the um, that Bogdan character, and I love uh, him being kind of this um, intermediary between uh, uh, Ethan and the um, the arms dealer. Mm-hmm. That's a great moment, and um, I also I'm just amazed that a director. Uh, in Brad Bird, who had never done anything live action. Now, that being said, obviously, The Incredibles is exactly that. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, two's coming. Um, and and Iron Giant, super underrated animated film. A lot of great stuff, but he'd never done anything live action. And to get this ambitious, amazing, amazing first, right. first uh, time around. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. All right, so let's take a little break, come back, we'll talk about five and our, our hopes for the future of the series, and, uh, and wrap it up with final thoughts. Cool. Cool. It was a bizarre scene because, I mean, the agent's justification for going into the room and talking to Ethan is to, you know kind of express his disappointment in mm-hmm. Ethan and he just goes in and says something like that like, I'm very disappointed in you and, and then, then he just stands there and, and yeah like <laughs> like like they're just watching in a two way mirror as he's standing there I'm very disappointed in you and then he just stares at him for ten seconds how did they not know what was up yeah I don't know it's uh, you have to suspend but you know another thing that disappoints me about Ethan Hunt is he never has enough kind of quips he's not bond where he has a dry wit and he's not bruce willis where he's self-deprecating really yeah it's always like the most obvious thing like in the newest one you know the car goes flying and he's like you done your seatbelt?" <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> it's like written it's like the, the most obvious thing he's always reaching for the most obvious punchline yeah I don't know. I thought he was fairly... As much as his character itself didn't have a lot of development in the first one, I thought that... Because David Kapp, uh, is he wrote, he's a writer on the first film and uh, and the second film, if I'm not mistaken. I, I felt... I, I feel exactly the same way as you do, but I, I felt as though there was a little bit um, more interesting dialogue for the Ethan character uh, in, in one and two particularly in one like the whole uh cappuccino machine exchange uh and 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 just a few uh, you know red light green light all of these things which i realize is kind of that it's he's just repeating what emilio estevez said earlier but still right uh there's some fun points but i see what you're saying it's not it's 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 a very it's very cold delivery he needs a he needs a more he needs like a Simon Pegg, which I guess is why it works so well. Yeah, exactly. because he needs to be the straight man. 
even when he's uh, he's all doped up in the newest one and he falls over the car, mm-hmm. I really am just laughing at the fact that they they had to shoot that and like, okay, Tom, so you're gonna fall over the car now. I'm not laughing so much at at his his physical comedy. It's it, it's just it's the fact that someone wrote this in the script. Yeah, Ethan yeah. falls over car and Tom's like, okay, I want to do my own stunts. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're back, and uh, let's get into five a little bit here. Um, right off the jump, I just want to say this is my favorite cast of any of the films. With you know, even though Philip Seymour Hoffman is my favorite of the villains, John Boyd a close second. I love this cast. I, I think it's it's a really unique one. I think that it's my favorite, obviously, female character uh, in the series, even more so than Claire. In uh, Rebecca Ferguson, um, Ilsa Faust, is that it? Something like that. Ilsa Faust. Um, obviously, Simon Pegg's back for his third go-around in these films. Uh, Ving Rhames. Uh, uh, Tom Holland is the prime minister that you were alluding to in the last segment. Um, Sean Harris, which we also alluded to a couple times, uh, who is uh, also Ian Curtis and 24-Hour Party People. Fantastic, and uh, Alec Baldwin. Yeah, in this of course, one Baldwin. As, uh, what is is he in the IMF or is he? No, he's the CIA guy. CIA, right, yeah, right, that's yes. trying to bring him down. Yeah, yeah, and then at the end, you know, finds uh, that he wants to run the IMF. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he uh, after being knocked out has a complete one eighty there. Yeah, um, and then I don't know if you knew this, but Tom Cruise is actually in this film, <laughs> which is pretty. That's a pretty big get for them. Uh, and uh, and Jeremy Renner also making his uh, return. Uh, really interesting. This is Christopher McQuarrie's uh, first go-around, and the reason I say first go-around is because obviously he's been announced as the director for number six, uh, which is interesting because he's the only director in the film series to get a second chance uh, at the plate, so to speak. So it's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, this one obviously, again, raises the stakes on the action pieces with um, the great um, plane uh, stunt at the beginning, mm-hmm. which is really ridiculous. Uh, and why you would put yourself through that, I have no idea. He does have a quip, Tom Cruise, when he's he's flying. Uh, yeah, because he, he's telling Benji to open the door, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 and he opens the wrong one. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, and then... Another another great uh, sequence that I I really like in in the film is the uh, the the opera sequence when uh, oh yeah yeah when he's uh, he's there and, and Ferguson's trying to or you think she's trying to kill the um there she's got the rifle and she's got it set really strangely on yeah. her leg by the way i thought that was a little over sexualized for my liking i think that it's one of the few parts in the film where they um they got a little too focused on getting a a, a nice sexy shot of her legs and posterior in right they really not that i'm complaining to her femininity there yeah but that's from the perspective of a male. I feel as though it takes away from it a little bit. Obviously, her coming out of the pool is a little bit of a Bo Derek moment or something like that. Uh, but in any case, she's a wicked character, Elsa. So I'm I'm going to let it slide. Um, I love the um, the the other big action piece, uh, which is that 
piece that you alluded to earlier, Danny, with um, Benji breaking into the, um, you know, to this high security uh, facility, and um, and then Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, it's, he plays himself in the film, um, having to uh, hold his breath for six minutes after he jumps into this huge, weird, spinny turbine thing where there's apparently some kind of computer access. Yeah, there's a hard drive in the turbine thing. It's like a it's like a donut-shaped water tank that spins really fast and the hard drive is there. Yeah. And so he has to go in there and get it. Which is ridiculous. It's really, really stupid. But it does um, allow for that great sequence that comes after, which is uh, disoriented uh tom cruise disoriented ethan uh and that wonderful car chase which i love the behind the scenes footage of that where um where uh you find out that tom cruise was putting simon Pegg's uh heated seat on the whole time they were shooting that and they were shooting that for like three days and so simon Pegg started doing it back to him and like put put black electrical tape over the the heated seat thing and he he kept looking like oh it's my no okay um i i like that i like hearing those stories because as we alluded to it just it, it bothers me regardless of what we think of him on a personal level it bothers me that he's somewhat that tom cruise is somewhat almost uh demonized in in media to a certain extent it's it's troublesome for me it's it's irrelevant yeah he's thought of as a like a humorless um kind of just a unpleasant guy to be around yeah so. and, and and those aren't the stories that we ever hear now you know that that yeah he's playing practical jokes on his cast members and yeah. like actually being a person mm-hmm. Devin, can i have a piece of this explosive gum uh unfortunately it's out oh jeez. that's Devin took the last piece of exploding gum mm. red light green light love gene reno with it ah uh, of course that's why i haven't seen gene reno in anything lately <laughs> Devin got to him, you <laughs> bastard. Um, you have been impossible. That's what he <laughs> says, right? That's the catchphrase. You've been impossible. <laughs> oh, yeah. Rebecca's name is Ilsa Faust. In, yeah, in yeah, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh... Now, <clears throat> we already alluded a little bit to that, that second or the third act of the film that just kind of drags. And uh, I hate to keep. Uh, bagging on this but it's just such a fucking 180 from that opening sequence where you get uh ethan going into the record store and getting his message and then of course it's a trap and um you know the smoke-filled room and all these things and then you get uh this ending where it's just like i captured a bad guy in a box and somehow he didn't see the box when he walked into it and um yeah, I I don't understand what happened. It's like you you were you were going along so smoothly here, guys. Mm-hmm. Like you had probably the most accessible of any of the films in terms of you know a film that you can no matter what kind of movies you like you can cling on to something. Mm-hmm. And then and then that whole exchange happened where it's like oh no I'm you can't kill me because I'm I'm the only record of this information and I've memorized it. Yeah. And it's just terrible. But then the way it ends, like you got Hunley, the CIA agent, he witnesses the IMF 
uh, the successful operation, the whole fake British prime minister thing. And then so he goes and defends them and they get legitimized again. Mm-hmm. There, uh, The IMF gets restored and he gets yeah. to run it. So, I mean, they've been trying to – they've been sort of a uh, – well, the whole Until the next movie when he's disavowed again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, Hunt. Hunt, you're out. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome back, Hunt. Someone is releasing files to a counterintelligence organization that. uh, Oh, it's got your your ID on the uh, on the file transfer. So you're disavowed. You're under arrest again. Yeah, you're under arrest again. You're gonna have to break out through a vent again. Uh, Just. Yeah. And yet somehow, like we jokingly say all this, but we those movies are so fun. Every time around, I have no problem with with it. You know, after the fact, I think back and go, hmm, that was that was the same same plot to get him to to his end goal or get him into the plot. Rather, it's the same plot device used to get him into the actual meat of the story. And it never seems to really bother me in the viewing, though. Right. It's I always want to see shit explode. It's always after the fact when you intellectualize it, mm-hmm. when it's just your visceral reaction. It's like, holy, it's fine. Holy mm-hmm. Holy shit balls. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'd like to do a fun experiment before we wrap it up. All right, for our closing, I would like to have you guys, we'll all take a turn, and on the spot, I didn't tell you about this because I just thought of it. Okay. <clears throat> I'd like you to, because Mission Impossible 6 is coming, um, I would like you to pitch me a film, uh, pitch me number six in this film franchise. Obviously, you know, what we do know about the film is that Tom Cruise is in it. Mm-hmm. Presumably, it will end up making somewhere around six hundred million dollars at the box office. Yep, <laughs> and uh, and and obviously, we know that uh, Chris McQuarrie is directing again. Mm-hmm. So, with those factors in mind, pitch me your your plot synopsis for MI six. Give me thirty seconds. Talk about something, and I'll put this together. <laughs> I'm putting my plot together, guys. Okay. Devin, do you um, want to go first, or do you want to wait on? No, yeah, I'll 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 go. Okay. I mean, here's here's one thing that I'd like to I'd like to see done. Because mm-hmm. um, I think um, in a lot of cases, uh, you see the the movie from one narrative point of view. Yeah. And things are revealed to that point of view. Yeah. And so that's how they they establish you know that you don't know what's going on. Yeah. But I would like to see. A movie that goes through uh, so every every person thinks they're doing the right thing. Oh, a little little bit of almost the silence of the lambs, like following the killer too, kind of thing. Yeah. Well. Well. Yeah. I. I'm, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> so you know, you've got like you know Simon Pegg is is doing computer things. Um, yeah. Jeremy Renner is doing Jeremy Renner things. Um, <laughs> You know, Ving Rhames is also doing computer things. I guess they're, yeah, they're going to have seems... to fight for that one. <laughs> yeah, they're they're going to have to share their their computer terminal. And uh, and each of them thinks that they're helping Ethan, but certain things that they're doing are are endangering him. Interesting. Like they, you know, everybody's been given bad information, and they're all operating on. You know, and so it goes through each of their stories as though they are the the hero in this in this situation. Mm-hmm. When at certain points they're really 
fucking the other person over without their their own personal knowledge. Mm-hmm. I don't know how how you would accomplish it without doing separate tracks, like without here's one person's point of view, here's another person's. I think if you interspliced it, it might be less surprising yeah maybe but well but then again maybe for example the the perspective that much like we talk about with um uh because it is a it is a good tool and it is something for example in terms of spy films you see a lot in the bond films because you see what the villain does and you see what bond does and you know everything that's and how it's going to play out it's the tension of knowing that that bond doesn't know yeah. That is the driving force of the film, which is so compelling. So I, I think it, that that I I like that. I like that. Do you have any ideas on on the story? Uh no, 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 no. I don't. <laughs> I I mean, I like I like nuclear bombs, and I think it's a shame. Like I I don't know. It, it always seems really lackluster when it's like in this most recent one. Like they're after two point four billion dollars. I don't know. That's like a reasonable amount of money. Yeah, like, it's not like it's a lot of money. Yeah, but but like. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a, a less than a tenth of what Apple has. Yeah, if they on just didn't make this movie, they could things. pay for it. Yeah, like, <laughs> they're they're they're. It just it seems really underwhelming, you know. And even, um, although like, I do love that Indian billionaire, so good in the <laughs> uh, when they're when they're trying to hack into his satellite dish, and he's he's uh, trying to four right. Uh, is it? that one? Uh, no, that, oh yeah, shit, that isn't for, <laughs> but, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like nuclear bombs. I think that's a good, you know, a good thing to go on because it's like, uh, you know, it's so, you, you can really, you can really just have them at your mercy, you yeah. know, like, what do you want? Like a hundred billion dollars. That's crazy. Well, otherwise everything's going to blow up. Whereas if it's like. I want two point four billion dollars. Like, you don't really have to twist their arm that much. Like, they no. spend, they 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 have probably lost like a hundred times that just in in the books. You know, they're yeah. they're like the the U.S. government is just like throwing this money all over the yeah. place in terms of defense spending and stuff like that. That like two point four billion is probably a rounding error. Yeah, it's like really, that's all you. That's all you that's want. All you want. Yeah. Like, that's. <laughs> All right, I got my film. All right, let's do it. Okay, uh, Mission Impossible 6. Okay, uh, the film opens with um, Benji and Ethan Hunt uh, sitting in a bar. They're hanging out, and they're watching uh, China land on the moon. Mm. Okay? Uh, so then, uh, you know, they watch the moon landing, and they're like, that's cool, that's great. And it uh, flashes to six years later. Uh, Hunt gets some intel that a Chinese military general with access to biological rockets that are on the moon, he goes rogue and disappears into the <laughs> rural Chinese countryside. Of course. Right? So Benji, posing as a tourist, infiltrates the Chinese general's rural stronghold by pretending to be the Chinese general's girlfriend. He's got one of those fake rubber faces that they're always using. <laughs> Meanwhile, Hunt is framed for the murder of Hunley. That's Alec Baldwin's character. Mm-hmm. Um and he's put in jail. But Benji can't help him because he can't break cover because he's pretending to be a Chinese woman. Okay. <laughs> um, so at this point, Hunt breaks out of prison with the assistance of a fellow prisoner um, a, played by Chris Cooper. They fly to China. Of course it's Chris Cooper. <laughs> you would put Chris Cooper in any movie. I know. This is Chris Cooper from the town. He's doing um, life imprisonment for robbing banks. Okay. So they fly to China to meet up with Benji. 
and uh, they steal a couple motorcycles. And as they're going out to the Chinese uh, general stronghold, it turns out Chris Cooper is a double agent. He's a mole. The Chinese general had anticipated that Hunt would uh, come after him, so he put one of his, um, you know, henchmen in an American prison. He did this somehow. I don't know how. Anyways, there's a hand-to-hand, uh, hand-to-hand combat uh, extended fight sequence, which Hunt wins, and then he throws Chris Cooper's uh, dead body off a bridge. But it lands As on one a, would. But it lands on a boat, and the boat explodes. So <laughs> Benji, uh, he. Uh, you know, he gets found out. His cover gets broken because, I don't know, he – the general asks him something that only his girlfriend would know, and Benji doesn't know how to answer it. So he gets captured, and he's being held at gunpoint. But Hunt gets there just in time, and, uh, uh, you know, whatever. He gets Benji out of there somehow, and then there's a extended motorcycle chase scene. While they're on the motorcycles as the Chinese general is coming after them, Benji hacks into the general's cell phone and shoots the rockets safely into space. That's the that's Where the they movie. blow up the sun. I guess they don't blow up at all because like they just like I don't know that'd be kind of anticlimactic. They're just flying into space and then they just sort of fade out as yeah. But uh, that's all I can think of really. Excellent. If they all hit each other <laughs> on the way to space. <laughs> yeah, they all hit each other and land on like a faraway planet and create some kind of new life form. New life form. <laughs> <laughs> And that serves as a prelude to the next movie where Ethan Hunt has to fight aliens. In yeah, Mission Impossible 7, Alien Protocol. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what do you guys got for fake films? Uh, all right. <clears throat> so uh, I'm, I'm just going to wing this bucket. Okay, so this film, now, now that the events of 5 have played out, um, I want to go back and borrow from the from the the arc in four, which is, of course, America mm-hmm. <laughs> accidentally on purpose blowing up the Kremlin, <laughs> 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 or you know, America doesn't technically. It's you know, it's uh, uh, Mikhail Nyquist's character, but uh, they still aren't comfortable with that answer they still have to show uh, a strength to their people and show that they do not um accept these sorts of uh unwarranted attacks mm-hmm. so uh they want the american government to turn over ethan hunt mm-hmm. because obviously with the whole cia um storyline of number five they know uh their names have come into the public eye um and ethan being a trainer and so forth technically not being active anymore again uh he has to go rogue yeah (laughs) (laughs) of course to uh to clear his name and uh and find a way to satisfy the Russians need to kill somebody. Okay? So, uh, he enlists... <laughs> so, Ethan has to, one, go rogue. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so. Um, <clears throat> obviously, Alec Baldwin's character turns him over to the authorities to transport him to um, uh, Russia, Russia uh, on a FedEx plane because product placement. Um, 
But before they get on the plane, Alec Baldwin uh, tells Jeremy Renner to slip him a device, which Benji has programmed, which um, neutralizes the guards. So even though he is in handcuffs, he jumps without a parachute out of the plane uh, and uh, lands safely on his feet. (laughs) Entire stunt done by Tom Cruise. Okay. Okay. He lands on his feet. Where is he now exactly? <laughs> he's uh, he's in the Crimean Peninsula. Okay. So it's a war torn area, um, and there's the war going on as it is now uh, between the Ukraine and um, and uh, Russia, and Russia's taken over the country, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously there's there's uh, power outages and all all these things. So uh, he enlists the aid of a lovely young lady, mm-hmm. of course. Um, to who has a unique set of skills, as one would <laughs> in a Mission Impossible film, yeah, to help him get into Russia. Mm-hmm. So they make their way uh, to Russia, where he has to find a you know f- fake film version of Putin and convince him of the events that that led up to uh, the you know the climax of four. Mm-hmm. Okay, so at the same time, um, uh, the Impossible Mission Force <laughs> tells uh, Renner that he, along with Ving Rhames uh, and uh, and Benji, and also uh, they enlist Ilsa Faust, who for some reason has now joined their ranks, mm-hmm. um, has to go after Ethan mm-hmm. and are responsible to bring him to Russia. So, um, and much like you said, Devin, so now they're trying to help Ethan, but also are trying to save their jobs, as they always are. Hmm. Um, At this point, in order to get to where fake Putin is, he must uh, uh, rappel down a very tall building Mm -hmm. via a rope. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, with the assistance of his uh, lovely Russian counterpart. Um, and the film's big climax, of course, is uh, in the form of uh, a giant uh, a Russian bodyguard who you find out is the son of Nyquist's character from number four. <laughs> and he is not having this. So, <laughs> And he's played by Kevin Nash. <laughs> okay so kevin nash and tom cruise fight it out and uh and uh he chokes him to death a la um mel gibson on gary Busey and lethal weapon mm-hmm. triangle choke on the grass uh sprinkler going gotcha <clears throat> so uh he gets to putin explains his shit everything's good and he's able to come home uh and uh until he is disavowed <laughs> in in number seven, <laughs> the next <laughs> he's allowed to come home until he is disavowed the following morning, <laughs> and that's how the movie ends with him being disavowed yet again. Cue the music. Also, I'm going to bring Hans Zimmer back to do the score for because he obviously scored number two, um, which everyone always forgets. Uh, and it's going to be the first Hans Zimmer team up with Danny Elfman. It's going to be so the scores of one and two meeting together to create um, just the the most irrational smorgasbord of uh, bullshit uh, music ever. Gotcha. It's just going to be one and two's music running simultaneously. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> All right. Any final thoughts on any of these films, gentlemen? Uh, more Tom Cruise going rogue. Yeah. I feel like this. There's not enough rogue in this film. Yeah, yeah. Disavowing. 
it does make them. you think about a lot of um like I, I mean i know they're they're fairly um innocuous these days or at least it seems from the outside but just like the um the heyday of the cia special activities division like yeah running drugs in in uh during the vietnam war yeah and, and like uh you know, uh, staging coups in South American countries, like, you know, how, mu- how much oversight there really ever was over this kind of stuff and whether the president would sometimes get a call and be like, that that guy does not fucking work for us anymore. Yeah. Like, yeah. strike him from the record. Yeah. We had nothing to do with that. Like, He's a star on a wall now. Like, uh, how, you know, how how... You know, if you could, if you could really go through all of the the years of it, like how how, you know, yeah, obviously not completely in subject matter, but just in in you know all of the disavowing and and stuff like that. How mm-hmm. how much of that really does go on in the yeah the, uh, intelligence world? Yeah, interesting. interesting. Yeah. Um, wrap it up. Yep. All right. So remember, this is just the beginning of the conversation. We want to continue it on with you. And uh, the best way to reach out to us is always on Twitter. So uh, I'm at not Brandon Fleet on Twitter. You guys want to offer up your Twitters? I'm at Leafs Love Hurts. At uh, YR underscore Homeboy. Right on. And you can also reach out to us on our uh, on our uh, show Twitter handle, if you will, um, at Mermel Podcast at M R M L Podcast. Um, we have some really interesting stuff coming up, so remember to subscribe to us over on YouTube. If that's where you're watching us, remember to check us out on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, whatever your podcatcher of choice may be. We're probably there, and if we're not, let us know, and we'll rectify that for you. Um, and yeah, I think that's about it. I had I had fun, guys. I, I was a little bit worried uh, about this episode, I'm not going to lie, as much as I love these films. Yeah, me too. It's always... It's always weird to talk about them because, like I said, they don't make any sense out of the context of uh, of the film universe that they reside in. But they they are a real interesting and 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 roller coaster esque series. So so thanks for a great talk. Thanks to everyone for listening. And uh, any uh, I don't know. Thanks for hanging out with us. think simon Pegg knows what happened to um emilio estevez do you think they ever told him <laughs> or do they just keep that one a secret yeah oh we used to, we used to have a computer guy yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ethan i'm in position on top of the elevator no 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 okay get off get get off the go some go to a tunnel somewhere where's john Boyd? <laughs> yeah.